the Podfix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 256 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up. In our very, very humble opinion. I am Giles Alderson. I am a screenwriter. Uh, I co-wrote The Dare with Johnny Grant. I am a producer. I produced Serial Killer's Guide to Life, which is out now on Sky Movies, as is Repeat, which I also produced. You can watch that now. Uh, And I'm a director. I directed The Dare, Arthur and Merlin, um, which are both available on various streaming platforms, which I think are on Prime at the moment. And The Stranger in Our Bed, which will be out later in 2022. And Walls of War, which we have just delivered the second cut of. uh, And we're now moving towards the sound mix stage. Score is being done. The effects are being done. And we should be delivering that sometime early next year. Fingers crossed that might be out around the summer. How exciting. I am also the director and producer of the documentary World of Darkness, which is on Prime. And we are on the final stages of post of our documentary Food for Thought, all about the plant-based living, the environment, and how you can make a difference. Uh, So that should be with us in 2022, fingers crossed. And I also produced Three Day Millionaire, which is just starting its post-production run now. A couple of pickups to do on that early next year as well. It is. I'm saying early next year because technically now we are in 2021. But when you listen to this, we might be in 2022 because it's only a few days away. New Year's Eve. I hope you've had a wonderful Christmas, whatever you have been doing. Uh, And I hope you had a lovely time with your families if you could see them. And I hope you settled in and listened to our Christmas special. A quiz special. If you did listen, you know who won the quiz. Uh, If you haven't yet, then do. It's fun because we don't just do a quiz. We go deep into what we thought about this year, our favourite films of this year, our favourite podcasts. We do a rundown of the top 10 podcasts of the year as well. And we give some advice for filmmakers. So it is worth listening to. It's not just us messing around, though there is a lot of that. I really enjoyed recording it. Some amazing people who've helped me all year to get the podcast where it is by co-hosting with me. And I really appreciate that. So it was really fun. So if you haven't listened, do go listen to that and the Phil Barantini episode from last week, all about his film Boiling Point, which is out in January the 7th. But today we are talking with Ben Mole and Luke Bailey, the screenwriter of Cray's Code of Silence. And Ben Mole is a director and the film is out now. It's literally just come out. It's on DVD and on so many platforms all around the world right now. And you can watch it. The link will be in the show notes. I was joined by the producer of that movie and fellow host Lucinda Rhodes Takra. And we sat down with Ben and Luke and talked all about how Craze Code of Silence came about. We also talked about why do another Craze movie and their collaboration of writing together. We talk about why indie films have no time to create and how you fail by being 
brave. We also dive into treatments. How do you do them? Screenwriting. Luke goes into depth into his screenwriting process and the importance of concentrating on story rather than effect. Lucinda talks about the labour of love she has for this film and how much she put into it. And we talk about why filmmaking is traumatic. Ben talks about directing techniques and we talk about rolling the dice. That's this week's episode with Ben Mole and Luke Bailey and Lucinda Rhodes-Takra talking about their film, Craze Code of Silence. Like I say, link to that is in the show notes. Do, do go support indie films and do go watch it. This is our last episode of the year. I do hope you've enjoyed our podcast for this 2021. It is only going to get better in 2022. I say that, I have no idea. It might not. It's just what people say. <laughs> Some of our guests coming up include the fantastic director of Atonement and the brand new movie, Serrano, Joe Wright. Yes, the Pride and Prejudice director, he is joining us. As well as the star of Serrano, Peter Dinklage. Oh yeah. Plus, Christy wilson Cairns. I know we've been saying that. She's the screenwriter of 1917 and Last Night in Soho. We have been trying to get her on for the last, I don't know, month, myself and Dom Lenoir, but she is going to join us. She said she will. Hopefully we're recording that early next year. Also joining us very soon is Chloe Chudasama and Leroy Kincaid talking about their brilliant indie film, The Last Right. They'll be joining us soon, as will live events from AFM and from Kino both live recorded live really fun they're coming up as well i'm hoping special guests include it ian mckellen yep i said that fingers crossed we are going to get sir ian on hopefully i'm recording that early in january and lily james fingers crossed for all those people we are going into our fifth year of this if you do like this please tell your friends that's how we grow that's why i keep doing this that's why all the hosts keep doing this because not only do we love chatting with each other and talking to amazing filmmakers about how they make their films but because it inspires you lot and i get so many lovely tweets and uh, messages on twitter and the social media for that and on emails as well so thank you all those who have done that really really do appreciate it because sometimes you think why are we doing this and then you remember why. We're inspiring you. Um, it's inspiring me as well. And I wish I had this when I first started making films. So take from this what you can, what you will. But know we are doing our best to provide some inspiration and some knowledge for you out there. So like I say, if you do like this, tell your pals, but also go on iTunes and give us a nice review. It will look really cool if we've got one for 2022. Right, so as soon as January the 1st goes, Please go up there if you haven't yet already and write as a really brilliant five-star review. It'll look great. Honestly, more numbers will come because of that and we'll grow because of that. And then more PR companies come to us, which means we get bigger and better guests as well as our amazing indie filmmakers. So I hope you've had a fantastic Christmas, wherever you are. If you have struggled this year and if you're struggling now, my thoughts are with you. I really believe uh, that you can get through this and you can go and make your film. You can do it. I know at times it feels dark and depressing and tough and you keep constantly hitting brick walls. But it took me 10 years to make my feature film. And it took me 10 years to break down those barriers. And you can too. You can do it quicker than that. You've got all these resources now. You know so much more than I did. I failed by having to just go for it. You can fail by knowing the knowledge and then realizing that that wasn't the right journey for you. That wasn't the right person for you. You can change quicker. 
you can do it quicker if you need to, if you want to. But do you know what? The 10 years was right for me because I was ready then to make my feature. So don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. Dive into 2022. Believe in yourself. Believe in your project and go make it happen. Go do it. Right. Here we are. This is this week's episode with the fantastic Ben Moll and the delightful Luke Bailey joining myself and Lucinda Rhodes Tacker to talk all about their film Craze Code of Silence. The sound is a little bit patchy in places. Uh, Toby's done a brilliant job to try and make it work. Lucinda had to record on her iPad because she wasn't at home at the time and I think my microphone drops out a couple of times. Hey technology these days we're just using what we can. I just blame technology. I blame ourselves. It's our fault but just bear that in mind. The sound is occasionally up and down but there's still so much fantastic information that you hopefully you won't even notice. Sit back, relax, have loads of vegan mince pies, <laughs> but not too many. Look after yourself and we'll see you in 2022. Enjoy. Hey buddy, how are you? Yeah, really good. Great. Good. Hey Luke. How you doing? Hey Luke. How's it going? How you doing? Yeah, not bad. It's a long time, Giles. It is, isn't it? How many times did we meet? We met, like, did we meet on a film or a job? Or did we I was just... trying to work this out earlier. I definitely mm. know we played football a few, fair few times together. And I was right. trying to work out okay. which, I was thinking like, okay, was there a job first? Because I know, or, or did we meet on a job afterwards? Because I, I was actually, weirdly enough, worked with this, almost exactly this time last year, I was working with Mr. Little. I, I did a Death oh. in Paradise. Yeah, we did a couple oh, of episodes nice. of Death in Paradise. Yeah. With Ralph Little. Yeah, while yeah. I was writing the first draft of this, in fact. So yeah, so it's kind of like a weird cyclical is so look so um you mentioned there luke actually you started writing this a year ago today were you writing that when you were on set of death not, in paradise not while i was actually on set that right, would okay. be i mean it's, it's something i should try in the future it's been known i mean <laughs> yeah. i've done it i was i was doing a play in that uh, oh, i had some musical or whatever and i was writing plays in the evening and it was so hard but it focused my brain. Like people were going out for drinks. I was like, no, no, oh, I must yeah. finish this play. Yeah, there was um, none of, no, no drinking, no having fun in the Caribbean. Um, everyone no, keeps I talking to imagine. me afterwards <laughs> saying, um, oh, I bet it was amazing. I bet you did loads of stuff. And I was like, yeah, I was sat in a hotel room looking at this beautiful vista, watching yeah. all the other members of cast sort of, you know, drinking their uh, um, tequila sunrises or whatever on this lovely veranda or by the beach and stuff. And I was just sat inside kind of watching all of this unfold while I was writing the script. Writing this depressing drama set in rainy England. Indeed. That's it. Like casting my mind back to smoggy, uh, smoggy yeah. London in the uh, 60s. I mean, absolutely. Um, well, how did it come about then? Because, you know, anything around the craze and that world is kind of a cool world. Right for both you, Ben and Luke, and suddenly you, you, you know, like you say, you're in the Caribbean, and then you're writing about this, you know, in the '60s in London. But that, the difference in that must have been amazing. But also, you know, where where did it? Wh how come this came to you, Ben and uh, Luke? Why, why this project? Why Code of Silence? Why want to do something else about the craze? Because it, I I love it. I think it's a fascinating subject, and I think you know, and many films have been made on it. But yet, your story is so much more interesting. It's so fascinating to see this side of it and i loved it i think it's a really well-made film i love the transitions i loved how it was written i love the performances i think it's great but well, how did it come to you how did it come about in the first place luke can you remember did, did was i first or were you first on it i can't even i can't remember back that far i think you 
Lucinda, you'll know because you've hired us. Who was who was the first one? Well, actually, yeah, I say with my fingers crossed. Lucinda, do you know? I don't. Yes, I, I hired you. Well, I had um, <laughs> brilliant. Well done, Ben. Um, so I had some, uh, you know, financiers call me to say um, they wanted to make a movie about the Grey Twins, and I kind of went, mm. "No, I don't fancy it." I love the story. I'm really fascinated. I know a lot about it, but no, I'm. It, it's not for me. And I put the phone sure. down. And then I spoke to Jeet, um, my producing partner, as you know, at Picture Perfect. And we said, well, you know, maybe there is a different angle. Mm. And I mentioned it lightly to Ben, I think. And Ben, you know, you, you had your head in something else. So you went, yeah, yeah, let's, let's pick it up later. And then I picked up the phone to Luke and said, Luke, what can we do? So it kind of came about like that. It was a conversation. I always wanted to work with Luke. I've worked with Ben before many times. He's a wonderful director. And I always wanted to work with Luke as well. So, and Luke's a great writer. So I thought this could be the first movie to do with the three of us, which would be nice. So I called Luke and went, oh, what do you think? Something about the trial or, you know, Luke knows a lot about it. And also he's, he's from the local area. So Luke came up with a good few ideas and then we settled, I think, with Ben on this on this angle of, of, of Nipper and the story that hasn't really been told in a movie. Well, that was quite yeah. important, I think, wasn't it, Lucinda? It was like sort of, there's, there's a, a lot in the sort of pantheon of uh, or the canon of the craze. Um, and it's quite, it sort of felt like it was quite saturated or is quite saturated. So it was quite, from the offset, we were quite clear on wanting to look at the story from a completely different angle. And also, mm. I think, I don't know if we were talking, if I was talking about this with you, Ben, when we very first sort of started um, getting in touch with each other, but it was just this idea that there's like a mythology around the craze now, um, almost like, you know, you kind of got the Robin Hoods and the King Arthurs and the Celtic mm -hmm. mythology of the Mabinogion and stuff like that. And I sort of feel like it's a modern kind of folk story. And I kind of wanted to maybe paint this, palette within that if that makes sense it's like a mm. part of this this growing sort of folklore if that makes sense we wanted to be the sort of first part of the mythology of the craze if that makes sense you didn't want to glorify them either i think that was a conversation oh, no. that we had yeah because so much has sort of been done as them being the protagonists hasn't it and um who's the uh, who's the mp was talking about it recently uh, yeah. fletcher and I, I thought that was quite funny when he mentioned sort of the craze being uh you know not being being sort of people's only role models left and yeah wasn't that weird like, we've sort yeah. of done the you know we, we've helped you out there nick we've we've not made the craze the role models <laughs> then they're not no, the no, anti-heroes no. or the protagonists of our tale they're, they're most definitely the monsters yeah well hopefully we'll talk about a bit about that in a minute because mm. one of the big things we well we'll talk about it later but one of the things we wanted to do was there was a wonderful actor on the show called max rottersley and he uh we were shooting this scene in the rain in the mud they're beating up this character that happens at the beginning of the film to set up this how grim this world is and he turned to me between a take he said you know what ben it was a really dirty business wasn't it on both sides of the of the mm. uh, ball on the on the on the gangster side and on the cop side and they were playing a dirty game and it was really well, one of the things we want always wanted to do was show how that it was a violent horrible dirty game that 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 this was based upon that has now become this mythology yeah. with that mythology as well because once you start to get a myth going you can start to play within it so you can start you don't have to do 
a sort of documentary style list of events that happened around a certain date. That's you can start to get play, more playful with within a sort of almost Alice in Wonderland myth, Robin Hood, mm. you know, like all, all the myth stuff. And it was really great, really cinematic as well to be able to do that rather than just knock out events like you'd get in a sort of, you know, documentary list or a book about what the craze did. Yeah. And I think that's where you've hit, hit the bullseye here. I think you could easily have just done another craze film. You could have done another British gangster film set in the 60s. Lots of geezers going around killing people. And I think what's so clever about this is the fact that it is a drama. It's an actor's piece. It is this... Uh you know, chamber piece of people in a melting pot and can they save the day? And it's it's really cleverly done and written. And I think, you know, certainly for, you know, you look at indie filmmakers now and how difficult it is to sort of break through and do something a bit different. And the fact that you've done this on a budget and it's coming and, and it looks stunning as well. The location was outrageously good. I've heard stories that it was tough in there, but the fact is it looks amazing. And that to me is, you know, at the end of the day, that's what matters. You know, it, it really is. And I think you've, like I say, I think you've hit the jackpot here. I think you've hit the nail on the head by doing something that was different. It's a crazy movie, but it's not a crazy movie. It happens, it's a nipper story about a detective at the time or a police officer at the time trying to uh, arrest some wrong-uns, you know, and, and that's really cool. Cool. The, the other thing there, Giles, that was you, you mentioned the acting, the, mm. the script, Luke's script, to go into that other sort of magical real place and to play a drama within the mythology of the craze meant that we could punch above our weight in hiring the most amazing actors who wanted to come mm -hmm. and play with us. Really good. The number of times, and I'm, I, you know, Luke would never say this on a podcast, but I'm going to say it for him. The number of times while we were filming that A list actors, of which Stephen Moyer is and other absolutely top of their game actors will come up to me and say, you know, I just love Luke's script. That's why I'm here. I'm really mm -hmm. loving playing this. I'd have never done a, you know, slap them in the face, crazed gangster movie, but I'm absolutely loving doing this. And it's all down to Luke's script. Can I, I, I interject? Stephen Moyer said to me once, I love that boy. <laughs> I love that boy's mind. Can I interject slightly, Ben? Because I think, <laughs> I think it's, I think it's only fair to say mm -hmm. how much of a collaboration this script was as well. So there are right. there were like so there were moments when I was sort of watching it and uh, and I was and I was kind of like oh that bit really worked and uh -huh. we'd had discussions about it and I you know bits that we weren't sure were going to work sort of in the writing it but, but then when it comes out into the film and like sort of me and Ben were going back and forth quite a lot and we were you know we were changing stuff and editing stuff and 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 we were both throwing in ideas at different points and Ben would give me an idea and I would run with it. And then I would say something, write something and Ben would come back and go, yeah. And then this and that, and, you know, it was a very much a, and what if, and what if, and what if. So, so, so you can't just throw all of the praise on me like that, Ben, because <laughs> genuinely you deserve at least 75, 80, 90% of that, my man. Oh, look at you two. I know. Isn't, isn't this nice? Yeah, I love it. If you, if you, it just went, no, you at least deserve 7%. 7, <laughs> 8%. Sorry, not 80. That was 8. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, guys, you, you're obviously writers in, in, in your own right. You know, Ben's a writer, director, Luke, writer, actor, um, musician, extraordinaire. So, <laughs> how did you find collaborating? <laughs> no, I missed that. Got a beatbox you? again. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did you find um, working, you know, on a collaboration with another writer? It, 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 I thought you two would, when I put you together, I thought it would work um, because I both know you very well. And I just wondered how, because we didn't, 
talk about that at all. Um, I hope I didn't just stick you two together and it, you know, didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the proof's in the pudding, you know, in, in one respect. Um, like personally, I enjoyed that, as you know, what I was just talking about just then, the, the kind of throwing, throwing the ball to Ben, Ben juggling with it for, you know, a few moments, throwing it back. We had some really lovely um, phone conversations where we'd be on the phone for a few hours just and what about this? Oh yeah, brilliant. And then, and then that, yeah, that's great. Would that work if, you know, and just constantly sort of, I really, really enjoyed that. The, I suppose the only downside of that would be sort of the time we had to turn it around, mm. you know, that, that, that has to be sort of acknowledged. I think, you know, we were really, you know, up against it um, a lot of the time and, bec and because of COVID and because of sort of all the stresses around that. And, and, and so I, I sort of feel like, um, I think that brought that sort of pressure as well, maybe, created some sort of creative diamonds you know things where we basically had to go what well, we've not got you know either the budget the time the the location or whatever you know whatever it might be and we need to come up with a solution for this and i sort of feel like in that pressure at the time it was very stressful but i think mm -hmm. in the sort of the overall piece and when you look at it back you kind of go okay oh, no that actually really worked and i think it sort of helped and i think that's where creativity uh, in these scenarios actually comes to the fore i think there's a good uh thing for your listeners as well who often have mm. you know in indie film maybe make, up, coming up to make their first films or their sophomore films or their third or fourth films in the indie world and mm -hmm. that is we always talk about indie films budgets somehow being the schedule being tight or the costumes or the number of cast or the or the days or the vfx often is a big you know all these sort of things come up and luke's absolutely right it development is one of those things and that often gets forgotten that that also gets compressed on an indie film budget because you know you don't have the time to get people for six months not doing anything else as luke said he was in another tv show in the caribbean yeah there's it's a real that's one of the really that's that's why every indie film that gets out there that gets made and is is good is a real achievement because it's it was created mm. in this pressure environment as well as everything else in the filming and editing. I think, mm -hmm. um, what was the message? Eh? Spend more, to get, get as much time as you can in uh, development as well. Basically, Lucinda, can we have more time is what we're saying constantly. I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think once when we're in that pressure cooker though, you can't help but go, oh my God, I've got no choice now. Mm. This is it. We are making it. We want to make films. Someone's given us this opportunity and hey, we have two weeks, we have a month, we have two months, whatever it may be. You go, I have to finish it in this time. Therefore, that pressure cooker, suddenly the creative juices in us flow. We stop doing everything else. We might stop playing football for a bit. We'll stop whatever it is, all those other things we love to do, you know, procrastinating, watching Netflix and just go, do you know what? I'm going to fully concentrate. And I think that's when we're are most alive. I love diving in and going, right, I've got to spend two, three weeks on this project now because I'm filming in four. So if I don't, the actors <laughs> can't get the script in time. They it's, it's true. And suddenly you just put everything into it and you're alive. You're going, you know everything about the script. And I imagine that helps you, Ben, as well, just before you're about to shoot because now you know everything about the script. You've you've gone through it in fine detail. Absolutely. And and, and then you get a wonderful cast like we had, which we, oh, you know, yeah. was just great. And the, the performances, I think, are some one of the strongest elements of the performances and the script are really the strongest yeah. elements here. But but then you yeah. get a, a, a cast, you know, who are used to doing some bigger Hollywood movies and all the rest of it, and they want to do six or seven takes, and they want to mm. talk longer about it, and they want to take time, and they would, and, and suddenly 
And that's sort of, that's a challenge, I think, uh, on mm. this film and on all indie films, I think is having the time to try things on set and, and explore. If we explored something and it didn't work, well, that was the, what we had to use because the mm. next day we were onto the next bit. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And so on that note, though, we all said at the beginning, we'd rather fail being brave and trying new things and being going out there and then just sort of knock something out in a paint by numbers way. So I think the audience would have to be the judge of whether we did or not. But um, Well, I'm, I'm one of those audiences and I think you have achieved that massively. So. Uh, I give it, uh, what should we say, 7%? Mark, <laughs> <laughs> whilst we're on cast, can we, um, can, we, can we just talk about cast a little bit? Obviously, you, you've mentioned how wonderful they were. And Ben, I think Stephen Moyer was the first cast in the movie. Was this before, sorry, Lucinda, was this before the script was finished or was this a case of you could get Stephen on the premise or was it a case of, no, let me read the script first? Stephen will always Stephen. read the script first, yes. Stephen had a lot of notes as well. The the draft that we shot had a lot of S. Moyer in it. Wow, okay, and great. It was, yeah, it's good. So there was a, a, an element, being Stephen's a director and a producer, a very good one in both those things of his own right, you know, mm -hmm. and he, so, and obviously done a lot of this thing this business mm -hmm. and so he and then he had thoughts and Luke, did we get on with him or was i feeding back from him to you i can't remember what we had one we had one um, didn't we one yeah where there you, was you meant get on us. zoom with him rather than did we get on with him <laughs> just clarify i wouldn't on speak a to him at all and everything had to go through ben because yeah. yeah. uh, <laughs> we just really didn't get on no no <laughs> <laughs> um, we had one um discussion with all three of us and that was actually after the first cast read through oh yeah so everything before that had been yeah ben you were like a go-between you were sort of casio to uh to <laughs> steven's iago nice <laughs> nice quote yeah. there yeah so look with steven moyer there also in the cast alec newman andrew tin and michael higgs uh jamie kenner max rottersley as we mentioned jennifer martin uh ian sharp sam newman melissa bachelor you know a lot of these people we've worked with uh, melissa's in three day millionaire ian's oh, in uh, arthur and merlin in his own film. Uh, <laughs> uh, they're yours as well. <laughs> 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 uh, Jennifer Martin's in Wolves of War. You know what I mean? Uh, Ronan Summers in Arthur of Merlin. And uh, really interesting with, with Ronan as well. He's playing both Ronnie and Reggie Cray. I think we'll come back to that in a minute because the technicalities of that and how you did it are fascinating. But your cast is brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant cast. And it's really interesting you said how it was because they really liked the script. They really wanted to get their teeth in. And I think that's a lesson as well for any screenwriters or producer directors out there is that if the script is brilliant and solid actors want to do it because it might be something different for them and they get their teeth in it's not your regular film as you you've said and that's really important you know the better script you can have and i know it's a slight saying uh, close your curtains at a night but it's really important that, I, that it's really not but um not like that at all it's really no. not but in terms of getting your script to a solid state and not sending it out before it's not ready and the fact that you guys didn't have any time but yet you still delivered this amazing script let's just talk about the script then for a little bit more so you're you're a year before you actually today i think uh, a year ago and you're there in the caribbean and you're writing it but at that point how are you writing it's not like you're just there writing it sorry you came back to the uk and carried on as well but what's your process when you now got the gig lucinda said here's the gig type thing what do you do first things first is we we wanted to, we wanted to get as good a treatment um as possible 
And we were really detailed with that on this piece. And I think for this piece in particular, where so much of it is character, but there is a lot of plot in there. And there's also quite a lot of detail within sort of the case. I don't want to, I don't want to say too much if that makes sense, you know, mm -hmm. about sort of the, the intricacies of it, but there are some complexities towards uh, the end. Um, so we kind of wanted to have as, as detailed a treatment for that side of things uh, as possible. So there was a lot of work on that. I think we went probably as many, if more drafts on the treatment than on the actual script itself. I think. And then obviously we did quite a, a, a detailed scene by scene breakdown as well beforehand. I think just also because I was going out to the Caribbean, it meant that I had as much detail as possible going out there that I wasn't, you know, getting, because there, you know, there were two things going on out there and I didn't want to do a job badly for on either side, if that makes sense. Because obviously I, you know, I, I was being paid to work as an actor out there and I didn't want to be mm. kind of go, right, I'm going to go on set and do a terrible job because I'm putting all of my focus on this script that I'm doing in the evenings and the, the other days. I love that. And does that mean that when you came to write it, actually put it down because you've done so much work in the treatment stage and in the uh, scene by scene breakdowns, it was easier then to sort of put things down and, and get your script solid. You would have thought that, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, it was, it's not that easy, Logan. I, yeah, I was hoping you'd say yes. But no. <laughs> I, I was hoping I'd be able to, looking back. Um, no, the first draft was still really difficult. And I don't know if that was because of sort of the other work. Or I don't know if it was there was just sort of this a little bit of kind of pressure. But mm. I, then but I got to the stage where I was just like, get anything on the page. Just get anything on the page and then we can work it and work it and work it. And the first draft was uh, a dog's dinner. Um, but as is sure. the case, mm. always once you've kind of got something on the page, then you have something to work with. And so you've got a bit of clay to mold there. Um, and they gradually improved draft by draft. That's yeah, it's fascinating. I'm very honest with you. And I totally agree with you. I think it's so important to just get that first draft yeah. done. It's like your first edit, you know, that assembly edit, it's going to be terrible. You're going to look at it and go, this is crap. They call it a vomit <laughs> draft or a vomit edit. Yeah. And it usually is, but that's okay. You've now in a place where you can now go make it better. But if you haven't even done that, if you haven't put your vomit draft down, you're never in a place to go make it better because you're always procrastinating saying, one day I'll write a script. And the <laughs> fact that you just went, sod it, I will do this. I suppose at this point you have been commissioned though, so it's slightly yeah, different yeah, than just on a, on a whim. Yeah, there's a bit more pressure. How did you feel about that then? How did you feel about that pressure? Because technically it's your first feature film as well, right? As a yeah. screenwriter. Just on the other side of that, though, before you answer that, Luke, it was... Because of that, I, from my side of receiving Luke's drafts, I didn't think it was a dog's dinner at all. And I think hmm. because we had worked so hard on getting the structure and the scene by scene down, something Luke's great at is, as, and you'll see it in the thing, is dialogue. When if you watch the film, his dialogue is really, really great. And whether it's his acting background or his musician rhythms in, in music, hmm. whatever that might be. So it was. All, I, I used to really look forward to getting Luke's drafts because the sort of structure was basically there. It was just how was that going to be sizzly and, and and sort of work with fireworks between the characters, you know, because the story was basically down. I think I think you did a much better than you 
you remember. <laughs> there you go. You. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. No, Seven percent. Eight percent now. Eight. Oh, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now I can't remember what your question. What did you, what question did you was ask him before? Well, in terms of the fear and that factor of the fact, you, the first time right, first time commissioned, the pressure. Talk us through that and how you coped, because it's something we often overlook. Um, and actually, it's a really important, vital part, especially with mental health these days, in, in terms of filmmaking and being alone and going, oh my God, how am I going to do this? How did you, how did you cope? Do you know, I think, I don't think I coped brilliantly, <laughs> but mm -hmm. I think because I didn't have much time, I, I think it would have been slightly different if I wasn't um, out shooting something as well, because mm -hmm. I think I would have had a lot more time just to kind of get inside my own head and sort of, you know, plant those seeds of doubt. But because I just, I, I've like, I've got two hours today because of the amount of time I'm on set I have to write. And then sort of oh, the next yeah. day, it's like, right, I've got two days off now. So I need to get as much done as I possibly can because, you know, the deadline for the, um, for the uh, script to be in the first draft was at the end of the month. And I was out there for the whole month. Sort of shooting. So I don't oh, think wow. I had an opportunity or any time mm. to really allow myself to be that negative. It was just like, all, everything was go, 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 go. Come on, man. Climb over. You know, come on, come on. <laughs> shooting <laughs> guns. Yeah, so. <laughs> I'm sorry, I thought you were singing them for a minute. Yeah, I, I was, was beatboxing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you were, you were very good. You didn't share any fears or non-coping thoughts at all um, to myself. But I suppose, yeah, you were just plowing on, getting on with it. Yeah, and we were on slightly different diet time zones as well. Yeah, but don't you think we do that as creatives? And maybe we shouldn't. But maybe I suppose maybe to our, our bosses in inverted commas we do we 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 don't share too much. But I definitely think we need the outlet, whether it's a friend mm -hmm. or someone else, that we can actually say, do you know what I'm struggling here? Yeah. And the more we can do that, the better. Because someone like say Ben straight away went, no, no, your first draft's great, mate. It's it's fine. And I hope I imagine you shared with Ben a lot of this as well. But maybe you didn't. And maybe we should do this more as as filmmakers. Is just go. Do you know what? I'm actually struggling here. I'm I, I don't know. And we have this, there's this whole fear factor of someone will then go, oh, well, you're not good enough. Uh, you're not going to make it in this industry. Yeah. But actually, it, we all feel it. We're all there. The whole imposter syndrome constantly is on our back. We never think we're good enough. We never think we're able to do this. And every time we write a new script or go on to set to direct something, we always go, oh, my God. We just do. They're going to find us out. They're going to find us out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you said you. They're going to find us out. We've been blagging yeah. all these years. Exactly. And I, yeah. And I'm only seven percent. And I really <laughs> don't want to. Be, I'm going to keep using that now. Um, so your process of actually putting things down on paper, uh, like say you're an actor and a very good actor. So are you looking to sort of the bits of dialogue that you've always used and the natural rhythms? Is that something you go look? I really because that was one so something that stood out massively in the film as well was how great the dialogue was and how bouncing just real and natural especially because of so many dialogue dialects from different areas you know with the scottish the london thing and 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 the northern and i thought that was really interesting how do you sort of go what's my dialogue and what's what's my day-to-day -day process of actually filling in the blanks yeah that comes sort of in later drafts for me i sort of uh, in terms of kind you know in terms of rhythms and things along those lines i mean mm -hmm. i'm always kind of picking stuff up i think that maybe i think ben mentioned about sort of being an actor and i think i'm always listening to people i'm i'm not i'm a bit of a parrot in in a way and, and i sort of soak that kind of stuff up and then when it comes to actually writing you know so when i'm really kind of trying to get i'm not, I'm not sure what it is to even try and make some life into a character or whatever i think i play them all 
I think I'll, you know, mm-hmm. so, so I think I just kind of go, right, I'm going to, I'm going to do a draft and this, in this draft, I am Nipper and we will go, you know, I say we, but yeah, me, me and me being Nipper. Me we'll and me. Yeah. Through, uh, <laughs> yeah. we'll just me it. and my yeah. alter ego, me. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Me, myself That's and really I. That's interesting, Luke. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and then I'll do it from, and, the other, and, and I do, and, and I, and I kind of, um, I sort of improvise sort of around sort of scenes and it's almost as though I'm kind of having a little dialogue myself with the uh, the characters. What's really great is it, it really works as well because it translates into, as you say, into the dialogue and into, there's a couple of monologues in the movie. There was one particular one, Stephen's talking about Nipper and his childhood and he's, uh, he's using mm-hmm. his sort of stories about himself to try and wheedle some evidence out of a uh, witness and he, um, it's this brilliant monologue and I come up obviously with his fancy way of shooting it when he was going to go over here and then over there cut to a close-up and all the rest of it this and then steve said no 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 no. this monologue is great just put a camera and i'll shoot and i'll say it (laughs) don't ruin my monologue (laughs) (laughs) and you can't do that unless you've gone through this process luke's talked about about going through its character giving it like giving it authenticity and Rhythm. I think authenticity was really part, a big part of this as well, actually. I was yeah. really worried about, about that particular piece, that, that part. I was worried that it just wasn't going to work. And I thought, am I being a bit, you know, is this being a bit too sort of, I don't know what the word is, um, kind of not, not, you know, a bit, a bit too self-involved, if that makes sense, you know, mm-hmm. and I was, I was a little bit worried, but, but and then I, I watched it and I was like, oh my God, no, it, it says so much about sort of nipper and the interesting thing is he's like is he telling the truth or is he lying because he's mm-hmm. trying to get you know and and, I, and, I, and that just all of that kind of really worked in that moment and I, and I and i was so close to kind of not having that in there if that makes sense i was thinking oh, it's a bit too self-indulgent i'm being a bit too kind of you know i, yes. was, I was like let's, let's get rid of that so i'm really glad you said that ben because i was you'll know giles when you when you see like a massive chunk of monologue on a script mm-hmm. Yep. You're, you're immediately you you're, it sets off alarm bells right which it did yep. for me too yeah yeah of that, but we because it was nicely written i didn't know how good until we actually got on set and sometimes you have to put it into an actor's mouth to really see obviously. you really do yes and uh yep. and then when we got it there every word of it stayed in and stayed in the cut and then we and it, it's, it's it's one of my favorite little bits actually to be fair isn't, Luke. isn't that fascinating how we as directors or writers we imagine a certain thing when we're writing it or looking at it and we go right i could do this with it and the camera needs to sweep from here yeah. to here yeah. because otherwise it'll be boring but actually sometimes you can stick a camera on an actor with a really cool bit of dialogue and just let it sit because exactly. they can deliver and they're writing strong enough and the camera does the work there it is um, and exactly. sometimes we can get too bogged down in that stuff fascinating i'll come back to that in a minute because i I do want to talk about your transitions and everything that you magically did ben Uh, but luke i remember i i like to write with other people i much prefer Mm. it writing on my own i can get i don't know i i I, that's why i asked you the question because you can get lost and you can get frightened and it sounds like you and ben could bounce off each other which is amazing constantly to have that and actually um i've written a comedy with noel sullivan who you were in um ordinary lies with Yeah, he's great. And me and him bouncing backwards all the time. It was great. But what you talked about there was acting the characters out. Me and Noel would do it 
all the time. Yeah. And it helps that we, you know, I was an actor and he is an actor. But that doing that, and I think it was a great technique for screenwriters to do. And if you don't, if you can't do that yourself, find an actor to read it through with you. But me and him would do that. We ended up finding the characters that suited us the best and then feeling the connection with those particular characters and then going, that line doesn't feel right for me. Like, like I'm playing these roles. <laughs> and I love that you did that too. And I think it's important that we do that. We sort of just read it out loud. As soon as you say it out loud, to record it. And Jim Cummings does this. He does a podcast of his own voice reading all the characters. Well, wow. you soon know when you're editing that together if it works or not. That's true. That no, when you said that about it working, if it works mm. or not, and that's the thing is, you, if I can make it work, you know, so it, I feel like if I can make it work, and if it, and if it does, then then I know that it can be done. If that makes sense, because there's sometimes you do worry about like, is this going to, is this going to translate? Does this work? Uh, is this mm -hmm. going to be possible? And I sort of feel like that's the litmus test. It's like, if I can do it, it can be done. There you go. Yeah. I, I know that, I know that it will work because there's sometimes you do and it doesn't work and then you have to, you know, edit it, change it. Yeah. And you keep yes. doing that until, till you find something that actually, you know, makes sense. Feels natural yeah. and nice. Yeah. Lucinda, what were you doing during this time? So you as the producer, you've come to Luke and Ben, you've brought them on board. Uh, how, how is it for you when you're waiting for that first draft or you're getting that first draft? What are you going through at this time? What's your process? Because by the sounds of it, you weren't far away from filming itself. So what? therefore, are you already starting to prep and look at locations with Ben? What was I doing? Hoping it would be good. <laughs> <laughs> at least 7% of it. <laughs> I think Luke and I were talking every couple of weeks because um, I don't like to keep you know, bothering a writer when he's trying to, you know, work and, and be bothered by the producer. And we're all, all three of us here are very grateful for that. <laughs> <laughs> but I was having a lot of dialogue with Ben. We were speaking to our execs a lot because we had to cast whilst the writing process was going on because wow. we were so close okay. to filming and we lost our location. We were actually shooting in Suffolk and then we had to find a different location in right. Wales, which we did. How long did you have between the fact that you've, you've got this draft happening, you're trying to cast, you're looking at locations. How long away are you from filming at that point? A month. A month. Oh my gosh. That pressure is huge. We shot for 14 days. You Wait, you, you shot this movie in 14 days? Yeah. That's well, impressive. we had a window with Stephen um, and Alec, Alec Newman, mm. so we kind of had to get it done. Stephen had flown over from LA. He had to isolate for 10 days. Um, mm -hmm. And thank God he tested negative. Um, at well, yeah, be nothing worse. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's uh, nearly most of our 14 days gone where we can't use you. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. <laughs> yes. And him being in every wow. day. So, yeah, no, we had a month. Yes. And we could only really cast... I think Alec, I think it was Stephen Moyer first, it was Ian Sharp second we cast, Ronan, because we weren't sure about, we had actually gone out to um, real twins actors. Um, oh, had you? Oh, okay. But they weren't quite right, and Ronan we always loved, um, mm -hmm. as Giles and I have worked with Ronan on three-time BAFTA nominated Kate Modern back in the day. So we Along all, with Ralph Little, there yeah. you go, yes. <laughs> so we all know what wonderful actor he is. And he was so passionate about the role and he kept saying, oh, I want it, I want it, I want it. But the difficulties of not using brothers or actors that look like each other or twins is 14 days, one actor, both roles. Mm -hmm. You've got to shoot everything twice. So during that month, we were trying to work that out. Ben was like, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? He's so good. 
oh, but how are we going to do it? So with that whole month to try and find, you know, lock the new location, try and find teams that because things had opened up again with filming, <laughs> so people were working. It was it was a heavy going month, wasn't it, Ben, actually? Yeah. And going up to Soho to, you know, get in the VFX studio and try face replacements, head replacements, trying to put my face onto Did the VFX guy's face so that we could work out oh. how to switch his face, keep the same performance going, but do this sort of deep faking almost. Mm-hmm. And then we thought, do we have them both stand there with a stand in and literally cut Ronan's head off and put it onto the other thing, which we do do in several takes, actually. No way. So there's, wow. there's a whole kind of figuring out a whole kind of range of different VFX techniques to have one actor playing two people on, you know, a month of free prods on an indie budget, you know, nothing, not, not, not with any of the sort of toys that you should have if you were doing a movie for a year. Yes, exactly. And it, do you know what? It comes across so well because we can't help it as people generally when you know it's the same actor playing the same role or two two you know brothers or twins you can't help but watch you can't help to go how did they cut that mm. where's the moment where's this and ronan is so good in this that you just like i love i loved watching it and love watching the tricks that you did ben and working out how you did that it's just kind of a joy you go yeah they succeeded that was cool i mean obviously it, at the time, it must have been frightening, right? You must have been like, how am I going to really do this? And like say, you were doing all those tricks, but a month of prep is really tough, especially if you didn't know locations. As Lucinda said, on set, you literally shoot in every shot twice. Yeah. You know, with right? a half-hour makeup change in between. So how oh do you make gosh. that work? Because he was wearing, had prosthetics up his nose and all his hair and different sort of bits of plastic and cotton wool in, inside his nostrils and in his cheeks to change the shape of his face, which was then digitally enhanced later so there were lots of sort of little fiddlings with it and to be fair to ronan of course his performance underpins that they are mm-hmm. really different performances and that's one of the things that had that not worked we'd have been in real trouble but it did thank goodness so anyway so having to wait half an hour for all that stuff to happen like in between shooting the same shot it's not even like we've only got half a shot because if he's there's two people in it. It's, it yeah. was. I wouldn't recommend it. No, I wouldn't, because Joe Stringer was first AD, who um, first AD'd for us on Wolves of War. Um, was written by was Ben he, Mull. Which is written by Ben Mull. Did did hey. you? Yeah, hey, nine percent. No, no, <laughs> 9%. <that's good. laughs> did you um, have to go? Okay, you and Joe would go. All right, well, let's shoot uh, Ronan's close-up as Reggie first. Let's spin it round come around on to Stephen next maybe do a wide let's see what else we can do and then when Rona's ready come back and do his close-up were you constantly thinking like that for all those shots with him totally and also some of them are lock-offs so you can't move the camera or any lights because you'll see shadows moving in the back of the set so you that set then becomes dead so then you've Mm -hmm. got to go find something else to shoot on a different set with what have we got left on the lighting truck and the camera truck we can still (laughs) use while ronan's in makeup while all the rest of the lamps and the camera gear and the dolly and the track you name it are are sort of literally nailed to the floor Mm. on the set for the lock off for the um for the effect shot joe did a great job of of, um, to be fair everybody mucked in on it Mm -hmm. we knew that we had to get it done uh, and we knew that there was no way around it and everybody was makeup brody did an amazing job brody's yeah, great brody's anyway. fantastic brody mayhew brody's everyone fantastic. yeah brody mayhew and she did an amazing job not only creating the two looks for the two brothers but also turning them around in 
you know, by the end of it, she was turning around in sort of 10, 15 minutes instead of the half an hour, which wow. obviously saved us across a day, an hour or two. Yes, so important. And who's your DOP as well? Is it Phil? Pete Alibo. Pete Alibo. Uh, okay. Who I think did an amazing job too. The uh, the the uh, stills, I don't know if people are seeing them attached to this. or Well, you can see the film probably. You can see the film now when this comes December. out. Yes, exactly. yes, December. Now it's Christmas. Happy Christmas, everyone. <laughs> We're filming this. We're recording this before. <laughs> he, uh, he absolutely hated me and Joe, though, because he wanted to, obviously, we're working to try and get it done in 14 days with one actor playing two parts. Mm. So he was always under pressure. And like, yes. always like, oh, you know that thing when you're like, well, I'll have to kind of, it will have to do now, it will have to do now. And, mm -hmm. and, and that's tiring. It is tiring. Us, it's, it's hard. It was brilliant. We were watching it going, oh my God, it looks amazing. It looks mm. amazing. But mm -hmm. so, so great job, him, really. Totally great job. Can I say something about Ronan as well, just to step in whilst we're on the Ronan Cray situation. Um, for anybody that is going to watch the movie, Ronan is actually yeah. American. So he has an American accent. We were obviously worried that, and he was worried as well. And I think he's very pleased. I will speak to him later to see if he is happy. Um, but his accent is really, you know, spot on. And that must have been a very hard uh, process for him. He's one of the UK's top voiceover artists, but that's not easy to yeah. do. It's not. And fair play to him. And Arthur Mellon, he was English as well. But here it's the craze. It's very specific. People know what they sound like. Ben, for you, that must have been, and I think with most of your cast, generally we're always worrying about our cast, but did you think, ah, is this going to be, how am I going to do this? You must have been looking for someone who looked like Ronan as well to potentially make your life a lot easier when filming this as well. So we do have, there is a stand-in who does look a little bit like Ronan. For, actually, it's funny. I've got, I'm just looking at some old pictures, actually. I've got hundreds of pictures yeah. of the back of runners' heads and their <laughs> ear shapes and things. And loads of them. It's like, you know, I want to work on an indie film as a runner, which is not the best paid job in the world. So you're already kind of like trying to get people. And then you ask them to send a photo of their ears mm -hmm. and the backs of their heads and the shapes of their shoulders they're like why what yeah why what do you want that for you weirdo He's sending complaints to equity yeah really keeps asking for pictures of my ears man i don't think i'm gonna do this job <laughs> it's like tarantino and his feet fetish yeah. Yeah. you're like yeah. what your ears like you're not on my set unless you've got nice back of ears as well not even front not even side <laughs> So trying, tr yeah, trying to find those standings to make that work was was another yet another thing we had to do on the list of, of things to to do that. And then, of course, obviously, our main job, Luke's and mine and Lucinda, something is making a, an emotional story for Nipper because he's the, the, the craze of For those who haven't seen this, the craze of the baddies. They're the, and Nip, we're following the cops trying to get them. Mm -hmm. But don't, which is which is, I certainly the way we all wanted to tell come to the story from that point of view because that felt fresh but um so we kind of it, we had to luke in the writing me and the directing and everyone on the set had to remember that don't get obsessed with the technicality and who what the ears look like and mm -hmm. is ronan doing the two parts thank god he handled that brilliantly because remember the story is really nipper and alex and ian charts mm -hmm. story so to not waste no i wouldn't start waste but not he spent too much time getting the effects shot right and not nipper's performance yes good yeah. then you've you've just got an effects show reel and you haven't got a movie and that's that's was so that was something we always had to remember is, is allowing time for them to play 
And as you know, great actors want several takes. They want to try things different ways. They and and, and they should. And that's that's the best way to get the best rounded character out of them. I love that because we when we're on set, we can get bogged down in the bits and pieces, the, yeah, the exactly. smaller minutiae of does the back of this head look right? Does that prop look right? Does this when actually it all those type of things where when you read in the edit, it doesn't really matter you can as long as you're telling the story and you're concentrating like you said there ben absolutely 100 right on your nipper character and on the ian sharp and uh, alec newman characters because they're the ones that are telling the story it's through their eyes so suddenly you're spending too long on these intricate details great you made that look amazing but we now don't care about your lead characters and i think that's so important that we don't forget our story and our vision when we're on set because we can easily do it. We can easily get pulled away by he said, she said, and the bullshit of the stuff that happens on a set. But as the director or the writer or the producer, you've just got to concentrate on what is the story we're telling here? What is the end result? And I love that you said that, Ben. Also on the twins, you know, it's Ronan to focus on Ronan and the, the performance and the mm. character of that twin different to the other twin rather than just high-fiving each other because the VFX shot worked. Exactly. Yeah, Exactly. That's great. And for you, Luke, then at, at this point, are you coming to set? Because now, I mean, we never really talked about you finishing the script. We talked about that hard moment when you go, oh, you know, and you're delivering it. But did you come to set? Did you come and have a look to see what was going on? Briefly, for several reasons. Mm. Um, number one. You're a big time, time actor. Yeah, 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 yeah that's <laughs> it. No, number Caribbean. one, I'm just way too busy. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> to give a shit. <laughs> Uh, no, number one because of um, there was the whole COVID situation obviously sure. so you can't just willy, you know I couldn't just come down willy nilly and sort of keep poking my head in and all that kind of business mm -hmm. another one was again the time and I knew that they were under so much pressure to sort of get it done in the time and I didn't really want to be taking up people's you know, oh crap, the writer's here. Everyone's got to, you know, oh, say hello to Luke, everyone. And you know what I mean? Like I sort of felt quite mindful of that. And I don't know if that was actually something I needed to be mindful of, but in the back of my head, I was kind of like, I don't want to be a distraction. And the other thing as well, though, is also because my partner was on the shoot mm -hmm. as well. And again, I sort of, I was like, okay, now this is your turn to sort of be part of it. And I don't, again, want to come in and be like, yeah, it's not about you now. It's about, you know, it's about me again and all that kind of, I kept, I sort of think about that kind of stuff. I don't want, you know, I don't want to be sort of in the way. I don't want to be sort of pulling focus or anything like that. I was just like, you know, you guys need to go and do your thing. And the other thing as well is Ben, you said something quite early on, you were saying about, Oh, so when it comes to set and I can, chat to Luke about this, that, and the other. And I sort of thought, oh, I don't want to, again, I want Ben to do, like, I, with a script for me, I always feel like it's like a blueprint. Mm. So I've, I've given a blueprint and then, you know, as like a bit of an actor, but then you're going to go and play and do different, different things of it. And I sort of wanted that to happen. I wanted to be able to come and watch this film like you, Giles, as a fan or as someone mm -hmm. who just wants to watch a good movie. Mm. And I didn't necessarily want to kind of, the, the being part of the set and the illusion kind of gets taken away and, and you're sitting there sort of thinking, oh, I remember how that happened. Mm, I was there that day. Was, yeah, 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 exactly. Yes, that yes. kind of business. And I sort of wanted to be like that little kid. Mm. I've written a film for mm. crying out loud and I'm going to get to watch this and <laughs> yes. see what everyone's done with it. And, to, and I did. And there was like, I was like welling up in moments. Wow. I, I loved it that much. I think the, like the setup of it, that sort of first 40 minutes where mm -hmm. everything kind of sets everything up for that, for what happens at the end. 
and it needs to be set up. You need to be enjoying the film. You need to be having fun almost yep. for the rest, for that ending to work, if that makes yes. it. And, and again, I, I don't want to be saying too much. I don't want to be giving anything away. I think Ben has done such an amazing job of pulling you into this world and you falling in love with sort of Nipper and the cops and, and you definitely, and also mm -hmm. hate, not hating the craze, but they are monsters and they are the baddies and you mm -hmm. want them to get their comeuppance. And I think that world is set up so wonderfully. And yeah, I, I remember watching it. I was just like, I like, I had tears in my eyes watching this thinking this has been brilliant. And I sort of feel if I'd have been there all the time, mm. it, I maybe would have sort of lost that little kid at Christmas sort of thing. Opening totally. a present. Yeah, because you'd have seen the things that were going wrong on set, because that's what happens on a movie set. You know, when we watch a movie. Oh, and there was a lot went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> there well, was well, a lot. well, let's get into that quickly. Let's talk about Lucinda. What actually went right? Yes, Lucinda. <laughs> let's talk about what went right. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that might be yeah. easier. No, I can't, I can't remember. Seven percent. Seven percent. Right. <laughs> <laughs> For me, as a producer, oh, and by the way, Luke, I was so nervous for you to watch the movie. Because um, obviously I, I, I very much respect Luke, so mm. I respect his opinions. Um, so I'm, I'm very pleased that you were happy with uh, the work that Ben Moll and myself and the team did. Um, but yeah, so what went wrong? Everything went wrong. Everything. Because, well, one, yep. the location change was, was very hard on us because um, we had to take everybody. And it's, it's, you know, some of the regular team we worked with, which was wonderful, but we had to take everybody from one place to another for a start doing that the lack of days that we had to shoot and we had the smallest crew i think we've ever worked with apart from behind the line escape to dunkirk which ben and i did together back in 2019 it was a very very there was only two of us in the production office wow okay or three of us i think david harvey rick gordon and myself it was a cold warehouse we were in wales we it was it was really tough i found it one of the hardest shoots i've ever done Really? Is that because it was so cold and miserable in there? Because when you're shooting, it's even that, like I said, I mentioned this earlier, the fact that this warehouse looks incredible, and Luke, you'll totally agree, and I don't even know if you imagined it to look as good as that. It just has the depth of all the windows and the characterness. I love rundown buildings like that with m pools of water everywhere. It's just brilliant. It looks great on film, but it's an absolute shitter to film in. <laughs> so that was going back to what Luke was saying about the mythology of the whole thing mm -hmm. and we wanted it to feel almost like a sort of massive epic castle or yeah. a sort of insight a labyrinth we used that word a lot as we were looking for the locations because it's it's sort of a representation of his what's in his mind as well as a you know a good location so it's got all there's lots of shadows and dark bits and corners and we don't quite know where to go and passageways that seem to lead off to this way or that way and doors that are locked or not locked, you know. So this, it was, it was part of kind of bringing a bit of kind of urban sixties mythology to the craze, which is, mm -hmm. you know, great that we were allowed to be able to follow Luke's initial idea about the mythology, you know, making that a myth building exercise right through into the location and the filming of it, which is brilliant. Brilliant. That is that is brilliant. Well, listen, you were talking there about how the difficulties and the location and stuff, and you're just there in the office, and you say, why was it difficult? Why was this one of the toughest shoots? Because I remember when you actually asked me to watch this, you said, I'm really proud of this. I hope you like it. I put a lot of my heart and soul into this and everything. What? Yeah, it was definitely a labour of love. Yeah, tell us why. I mean, as, as you know, you know, Giles, pitch perfect. We, we've, we've done a lot of films, and this is definitely... 
I think for me, I'm the proudest of this movie that any we've ever done. And it's really hard to now think back of the stress levels that we were all going through or my personal journey on this. Um, I was at the end on most days. I really was. And I, it's hard to kind of remember why because I'm so pleased with how it's turned out. So you try mm. and forget all of those things because it doesn't matter anymore. You know, what we pulled off on no budget, micro budget, whatever you want to call it, is quite uh, incredible because it really was, you know, one of the lowest budgets we've ever worked on, um, which is always, we talk about the budgets like you did earlier, Ben. It's tough, but, you know, and you're trying to engage all these wonderful individuals and, you know, they're, they're worth so much more and you, you can't offer them more and we're trying. And it turned out to be... There's a there's a behind the scenes video actually that somebody did and they stuck it on Facebook and I mm, thought wow sure. I didn't remember it like that because I was in this mm. whole dark cloud of my own and then all of a sudden you realise wow everyone had such a different experience to what you thought they were having and at the end they all went so what are we doing next guys and I was like haven't you had enough yeah you want to do <laughs> more isn't that fascinating how we see things just through our eyes and what we're seeing and you forget there's a whole nother world going on with everyone who's on set is having their own little world within that world and you could be having a really tough time but no one else knows you especially as a producer you can't let anyone else know you're having a tough time producers the one person who is actually it is really difficult mm. because you've got to hold everyone else's problems and people always come to you with the issues and you've got to try and deal with them well nobody asks a producer how they're doing never and that's a lesson for everyone if you are uh, uh, not a producer on a film set do go ask the producer how they're doing just go bring them something. Honestly, it makes them feel so special because constantly you're getting shit. <laughs> it's really tough. So, Ben, let's talk about the directing side of making a film like this in 14 days. Is 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 tough. It stretches the brain to think in different ways. Obviously, it helps that a lot is in the same location. And I imagine... I'm putting it out there at the moment that you shot pretty much all of it in that location and then around there. Uh, I certainly hope so for <laughs> moving around must be in that moment. I like to spend time in locations and have a little, you know, as a director and go, okay, if I, the more I spend time in locations, I see where I want the camera to move or I go, well, this could work. And obviously the actors come in and change that and that's cool as well. You adapt. For you then, did you get much time in there? And how, obviously we talked on a previous podcast about your techniques and stuff, but the transitions you did were incredible. It's basically what I'm trying to get to with this long-winded, stupid-ass mm. question I'm going with here. Um, I loved your transitions on this film, and I wanted to know how you thought about those and how you managed to pull them off, basically. I mean, thank you for saying that you liked them because that was a dice them. roll. It really was a dice roll. And and we, and we said Lucinda and Luke and I and Stephen and the, Pete, the DOP and everybody, Jamie in the, in the art department said at the beginning that we'd rather fail. We, let's put these in. We don't have the budget to come and reshoot them if they don't work, but mm -hmm. let's put them in and, and fail trying rather than fail being safe. So we tried to go for be brave with the with the way those looked and those, mm -hmm. those uh, transitions and cuts between bits. There's a couple that are, you know, that I'd want back and there are a couple that are great. And that's 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 brilliant. I hope the execs that's, that's didn't brilliant. hear that we just rolled the dice. <laughs> <laughs> I think what Ben's saying is he didn't go, oh, let's just see if this works. You knew that you had the idea of how it would work, but the fact the execution of them, I, I thought was excellent. I really thought it was excellent. There was another thing, and, 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 I, and I hope it comes through to the audience, is that one of the things we I never, ever wanted to do with this, and Luke didn't either, was do a, a, day, a diary, a list mm. of events in the craze life. 
it would have just been, it would have been a impossible to shoot on the money and be a sure. kind of a boring thing. You can get that from a book. So we wanted to kind of get inside Nipper's head and almost think of it like the whole of the movie is Nipper's plan for how to arrest them. And what that did was allow us to be a bit fast and loose with the actual events, because if it was just his mm-hmm. plan and never really happened, then we could be a bit more flexible and work to our budget time and creativity. So those using those transitions, it's almost like he's sort of thinking of an idea and then he has another idea and that moves him to another part of the building or another transition or another juxtaposition of shots that might be it's sort of sim it's a sort of outward expression of mm. nipper's inner piecing together of the puzzle, basically. We haven't really spoken about nipper actually. That's one of the things I really loved about nipper was it you've got this very methodical, reason-driven, shy, internal detective combined with someone who who is quite emotional and gets quite passionate at the end and that was really who the real nipper was this sort of weird double character of those sort of things i thought Stephen, that's a, a nightmare to ask an actor to do and i thought he did that brilliantly that the focus of the 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 analytical nipper with the passion of the of the driven nipper and the, mm-hmm. you know thought he did a great job of that but yeah totally so the, the transitions are kind of an outward expression of his inner piecing together of the puzzle that he needed to do. We originally didn't have Nipper in those flashbacks. Do you remember, Ben? Oh, oh really? You oh. added them later, or Luke added them, or it came about. So he was telling the story, or he was talking to the other coppers, if I remember, and then there was a decision to actually put him in. I do. I remember the discussion because me and me and Ben had one of these wonderful long chats that we'd been having, and we put the idea in then about again, and, and this is really difficult to kind of say without giving away sort of a kind of quite a key part of the story, but to do with the trans- transitions and to do with where Nipper, Nipper actually is or where he isn't. And we had this discussion, and 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 we uh, and then we took it to Lucinda and it was a, and we were talking about budget and how do we, can we do it? Is it possible? And then we would sort of decided that we were going to kind of maybe go down another route before a draft. And then I just went, do you know what? Roll the dice. No, ben, Ben's, Ben's right. Roll and it dice. is good. And let's just try something. And I tried one thing in one place and then Ben oh, came yes, back to me and went, remember. and then Ben came back to me and went, that's 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 it. That's it. And, and then we went it. and redrafted yeah, yeah, it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Oh, amazing. It's just one thing in one place. I was like, they're not gonna I, I was really frightened. I was frightened. I was like, I was gonna and Ben just came back straight away and went, No, 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 do that. And then yeah, we went, we went back and done it. And then Ben has then done he's you know he's kind of gone even further and there's some other moments that weren't even in there where ben's just done these amazing things as well it's just i think that's what hooked Stephen. actually do you remember ben and i had a two-hour meeting with Stephen, didn't we on a sunday night ben's racking his brain he's like, i know i remember it well Oh, you remember it okay <laughs> yeah no, well i did several with Stephen as as well as that i'll never forget on the pub set in the, on the blind beggar set and Stephen turned to me and we were doing one of these things where Stephen can appear in his own flashbacks which you'll have to watch to understand what that means mm-hmm. and, and he just turned to me and said this is why i'm doing this movie and i thought that was great that to get a, a, a an actor to fly over in the middle of covid from mm-hmm. la who's a insert you know who's you shout his name in the pub, people turn around um yeah and he's of that level and that talent he's great to get him to fly over to england in the middle of a pandemic to do these this Mm -hmm. little 
movie in Wales in 14 days because of those kind of bold choices, I think, that that, that, that we put in and that, that Luke wrote through all the, throughout it, you know. It says it all, doesn't it? How, again, another lesson for our filmmakers, be brave, be bold, yeah. be different, right? Because yeah. you just have to. It's yeah. so important. Roll the dice. You've got to roll that dice. Uh, you've got to roll the dice and give more than 7%. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think it's across the board as well, though. So I think, like, sort of Lucinda did it. She rolled the dice, mm. first of all, by even coming to me at any stage, I think it's fair to say, um, and going, you know, do you want to give this a go? I think that was a role. Lucinda had seen examples of my writing, but obviously not in this kind of form, if that makes mm. sense. So I think Lucinda yeah. was brave and was like, you know what, I've got a gut feeling and I'm going to take a chance on that. And yeah. then the same with Ben to then come on board with that, you know, and then, and I was thinking that sort of throughout it. And when we were writing, I was thinking, do you know, no, actually, yeah, I need to do that as well. I, there's no point in me yeah, just yeah. writing the kind of simple things. I need to kind of make some bold choices and try something. And then Ben saw that and was like, yeah, brilliant. Cool. And then, and then, and he's done the same thing in terms of you saying some of the transitions and some of the directing and, and like that, that is, yeah, kind of a big part of, I think what we all need in order to kind of we were allowed as well luke actually if you remember our our um, execs andy lyon andy taylor and michael walker they do allow us and trust us as a team to make the best movie they leave they don't necessarily leave us alone completely because they're part of the team they're part of the process but they do say you guys know what you're doing just make us the best movie you can and so they they allowed us to make those um bold choices I'm not sure they put out again after they've just heard this. But. <laughs> but that trust is so important. And I suppose you knew, you know, going in that these guys had already got a, an idea of how they were going to put the movie out there in the world. So it meant you guys aren't having to sell it. You guys aren't necessarily having to go to distributors. It's already kind of moving forward in that way because they've already got that set up. That must feel nice. I know it does for me sometimes when you know you've already got that platform set up you're making this movie, it is coming out. You know, they've already given you a deadline. Ben, just touch on that real quick for you as that filmmaker, because you've had this before, but also uh, not had this as well. So, you know, do you prefer to know that it's got a release date and you know that this this film will be seen by people or, hey, we never know, this could, we could get picked up by whoever? Great question, Giles. It's really, it's, it's yeah, it's fascinating. I think they're different kinds of fear, aren't they? One is mm. like, am I going to deliver what is needed? And, and the professionalism, you know, what they paid me to what, within our budget, what, what do, they had sure. spent on making this film. And is that going to be what what satisfies that? Whereas in the that so there's fear there and there's fear of not of not doing a good job and, and and the responsibility of that. And on a spec project, obviously there's fear that no one's gonna buy it and then it won't get seen. Mm. I suppose I don't know which is more they're both driving aren't they in a way you've done both haven't you yes yes I think it's more uh, what puts the fear of God in me to know that there's more pressure what to know you have got it's yes. already sold really I mean it's all exciting and Ben Mole said it on the last podcast just say yes worry about it later you say yes and you're excited and then you go oh, shit. oh no yeah. Oh no. Yeah. And Luke, you must have felt that way. Yes. I'd love to write this. Oh shit. Now I've got to yeah, actually yeah. write it. Yeah. And the same with you, Ben. Oh shit. Now we've got to direct it. Of course, but you can do it. And that's the thing. You've just got to trust in yourself. Haven't you sometimes and go, someone's kind of given me an opportunity. I've got to take this with both hands and do it and write. And, and also remember that, you know, it, it, it might not be the hundred percent thing that you had in your head. 
circumstances are going to get in the way and be okay with that. Every mm. time you write a script, you do a part, you direct something, you put it together, you get in the edit. Every time you do it is a learning thing experience. Mm. Do it as much as you can do it as often as you can. Everyone gives you, whenever anyone gives you an opportunity to do it, take it and do it because you'll learn so much from it. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be Star mm. Wars every time. Do you know what mm. I mean? You, you can still grow through doing these these projects. I think that's really important to, totally. uh, to develop careers. Yeah, you've got to have a career with working filmmakers. You want to be making films or writing films or producing films. That's what we do. So if you're not doing that, you're just kind of saying one day I'll do that. It is interesting, that whole balance in life. Uh, Luke, what have you learned from writing this that you're going to bring into your next film that I imagine you've already written bits and pieces anyway, but it'd be interesting to know your thoughts. I think it's, tr be again, be bold and trust yourself i think that's a that's a big thing because i think the things that i take back looking looking back now is like oh okay yeah those were the those were the things that that actually worked and those are the things that you kind of look back with most pride are those mo those things where you kind of you did roll the dice you know uh, and hopefully that's the same for yeah so in the moments i feel the moments that we that garnered most success in the script are the moments in which the dice is rolled amazing yeah great uh I, I, this has been brilliant to chat to you I've, I've loved the open frankness yeah just another thing that people film filmmakers in their careers to be aware of it if you're working in the independent world is is sometimes you don't always have the budget to spend as much in post as you'd like mm. and so vfx and, and an extra week in edit can count for everything so on this one especially this has been brilliant i've really enjoyed this chat it's been really Me cool too. thank you really good so it's craze code of silence for the uk and it's code of silence for the international release um oh we must say also um, our composer Christopher Cook was amazing, but we also had um, a song in the movie from the Small Black Arrows. People keep saying, "Oh, are you in it? Why aren't you in it?" Blah, 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 all this kind of stuff, and it's like, "Oh, don't, don't you worry." <laughs> I'm in there somewhere as Small Black Arrows. You. Yeah, there yeah. You go. I've snuck in. I've snuck in. You might have that's your band. We'll uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Oh, yeah, amazing. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Cool. That's cool. Look, uh, we could chat all day. This has been amazing. Craze Code of Silence is out now. Go support. Go watch it. Uh, I think it's brilliant. A really cool indie film, uh, chamber piece, if you like, brilliant acting, great storytelling, clever uh, cinematography and camera work, you're going to love this movie. So if you like a big fan of the craze, you'll like this movie. And if you're not, you will still like this movie and therefore you should go support it. 100%. Ben Mole, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Woo. Yeah, thank you. Been a pleasure. Great. Uh, Luke Bailey, thank you very much. Oh, no, the, the pleasure is all mine. Uh, Lucinda Rose, thank you. Thank you, Giles Alderson, for being a part of it. <laughs> being a part of it. <laughs> 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 I was the 7%. Ah, it was the 7%. Um, remember, you can go out there and make your movie. You can roll the dice and do it just as the boys have said. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it is your duty to send the elevator back down. We will see you next Tuesday as always. Go support indie films and go try and make your film. Why not? Roll the dice. Make it happen. Cheers, Ben. Cheers, Luke. Cheers, Lucinda. See you all. Bye. See you all. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.